By the grace of God, amen, I have been raised To a future without it, I set my eyes 
on a true and loyal friend, the one whose life I'm hidden in. Jesus, all my hope in Jesus, love that never leaves us. You won't forsake us now. Jesus, faithful through the ages, of all my joys the greatest, the one and only Jesus. I have a place in the family. invite your presence here. Jesus, we ask that you do what you want to do this morning. God, we are submitted to you. God, we are absolutely desperate without you. Lord, we look at the world around us and we know that you're our only hope. So God, just I just ask that you'd fill this place, that you'd fill each heart, fill each mind, Lord, that you would align us to your spirit, that you would align us uh, in ways that we've come off course, Lord, in our mind, in our hearts. God, just align us to yourself. And we just ask that 
we would be faithful and that we would be obedient to, to listen to you, Jesus. We love you so much. We just want to honor you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you'll take your seats, that would be great. And also, if there's some seats around you, we've got some people in the back that are coming in that still need to be seated. So if you want to come up, uh, if you've got like a couple seats around you, you can raise your hand. Um, we've got some seats down here. Yeah, so just filter in. Don't be shy. Uh, so I just want to welcome you all to uh, Harvest Church. We're glad to have you here. Oh, if you want to sit on the front row, there's some spots up here too. Um, yeah, it's great to have you here. I'm Curtis. Uh, and just want to extend a special welcome to you if you are new here for the first time. I uh, just want to let you know that there's an info center at the back. There's a really beautiful woman manning the info center. She's my, my wife, um, so she'll take good care of you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we just got married, that's why. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, that doesn't happen every time, but I'm expecting it from now on, so. No. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we've also got coffee out on the patio there, and then bathrooms down these hallways. You'll see the signs there that'll lead you right to them. Uh, we've got a few things coming up. Uh, the first thing is the Bunko for the Babies event. Um, this is really special because the whole purpose of it is to bless Lifeline Pregnancy Center. Um, we've supported them for a long time, uh, and so this is another great opportunity to do that. The registration for the event, you'll need to sign up uh, online or at the info center, but the registration is bringing an item to donate to Lifeline. So it's going to be a big blessing for them and for a lot of moms and young uh, unexpected pregnancies in the area. We just want to bless them. Uh, so if you want more information on that, head back to the Info Center. That's going to be on September 30th. Uh, also, we have our Harvest Festival Parade Outreach. This every uh, Yeah, the last few years we haven't had it. The Harvest Festival has not been here, and we thought it might never return. But here it is, and we're stoked about it. So uh, we are going to be handing out balloons and free waters to people coming up and down Grand just to bless them, make a connection with them. And um, yeah, so if you want to be a part of that, you can also sign up at the Info Center. Uh, and then just one more thing. We've got a new uh, life group that's joining on a little bit late, but um, it's going to be amazing. Uh, Dr. Stacy Harmon is leading uh, this life group, and it's about Christian ethics. Um, he's a medical doctor. He's got great insight to these things, and it's going to be on Thursday. So uh, if you want more information, you want to sign up for that, you can head back to the Info Center. Uh, we'd really encourage you to do that. Uh, so now we're going to just get up and meet somebody you haven't met before. Uh, fifth and sixth grade is going to be released at this time, but uh, junior high and high school are going to be in because Jeremy's going to be preaching this morning. So uh, let's get up and mingle, and Jeremy will be back in just a minute.
All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome. I love it. You all rowdy this morning, huh? That's great. Yeah, I was surprised to see first service was really rowdy as well. I don't know if it's the weather or what, what it is, but I'm glad to see you guys awake as well. Um, it's going to be a great message. Uh, Pastor Steve had a, a vacation this week, and so he was gone, and um, so he asked me to come up and teach today, and, and it, it, I showed him my outline earlier in the week, and he said, that sounds like it's a two-parter. So this, this will probably, well, this is going to extend into next week. So instead of one week, he got me two weeks. Sorry about that. Um, Steve will be back after that, but... Um, my name is Jeremy. I'm the youth and family pastor, hence the youth are staying in service, so I'm glad to have them here. Um, I, I realize the weight of, of today. Um, I remember what I was doing 21 years ago. Uh, it was my college roommate's birthday, and uh, the phone was ringing off the hook. We, we, th- we thought that she was simply just trying to get a hold of him to r- wish him a happy birthday. When he finally picked up the, the phone... And the kind that was attached to the wall, or uh, we, we realized that the world had changed. And I spent that day with eight of my co- other college roommates staring at the TV, um, wondering how this would change the, our, what would this would change. Um, and it did. Our, our, our world, our nation has not been the same ever since. On that day, the Twin Towers were attacked using our own commercial aircraft. The Pentagon was attacked. And then Flight 91 crashed in a field because of some brave men and women who decided they were going to sacrifice their lives to bring that, that plane down the field and not into our Capitol building or into the White House. So I thought we'd start out this, this, this morning in, with, a, with just a moment of silence as we, as we remember the, the brave men and women who rushed into those buildings that were on fire, the brave women, men and women that stopped the airplanes from going where they were intended, we can remember them right now. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice those men and women paid to at least attempt the saving of other lives, Lord. We think of that day that our world changed forever when over 3,000 people on American soil were were, were killed because of the acts of a, a few evil people. And how that's marked our world ever since, Lord. Lord, we thank you for those brave men and women that that kept evil at bay. We remember them now, Lord. And Lord, ultimately, we look to you, Jesus, because you, by your death and giving of your life, gave us freedoms in ways that we do not deserve, Lord. So Lord, thank you for this morning. Pray that we would open up your word and and receive some truth, Lord. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're taking a break, a short break from Peter this morning, and we're going to look at, and we're going to get ready for some verses that are to come in Peter. And that's maybe today is a, a little bit of a warm-up for that, a little bit of, of getting ahead of the curve. But uh, I'm going to recommend that you get a note card out. I'm going to be throwing out a lot of verses for you to mull over this week, some passages to write down, to think through. Um, and I want you to be like the Bereans in Acts 17. You see, the Bereans, Paul praises them because they heard what Paul had to speak. They heard Paul preach, and then they went home and they searched the scriptures for themselves. So some of the things I might say this morning might be new to you. It might be a little strange. And so I'm going to encourage you to Take what I have to say. Don't just take it from my word. Look at the scriptures. Look at these passages. Look at our culture, and we'll go from there. I also want to do recommend that, this, that, that there is some mature content in this morning's message. So I've tried to keep it at junior high level and above, but it, there will be a little bit of mature content. But I've labeled this message as the veil is getting thinner. You know, and when they unveil a new car, any car fans out there? You either go to the shows or, 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 or you watch online and, and, and they're going to be showing this new car and so they have this veil covering the car. And then they, they say, like, like the Tesla, uh, um, the Cybertruck, they pull back the veil on that thing. You're like, oh, what is this thing? It's, 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 it's crazy. Or that veil that was on my 13th, I think it was my 13th birthday uh, bike, you see, I was getting into mountain biking, and the Kmart um, Huffy Whitehawk was no longer doing the job. And I really, really wanted this uh, Bianchi Nyala bike, but it was a little bit out of my pr- it was out of my price range and a little bit stretched to budget for my parents. And so that morning, I woke up, and my, there, there's my birthday present. It's underneath this sheet. My parents had put a sheet over it. And I'm like, oh, man, is it going to be another Kmart bike or is it going to be the Italian stallion, the Bianchi Nyala? <laughs> and because the sheet was thick, I couldn't see through it. But then my parents, they pulled it back, and there was my dream bike, the Bianchi Nyala, which I have some good, painful stories to tell on that bike. <laughs> but had that sheet been any thinner, I could have seen right through it, and I wouldn't have need to, that veil wouldn't have needed to be pulled back. I would have just known what it was. And I believe that in our culture, we're, we're starting to see that. The veil is getting thinner. We're starting to see a mixing of strange, strange things. A mixing between the natural and the supernatural. In, in, in ways that seems like strange bed, bedfellows. You know, movies, we think about when movies first came out, and even movies in my childhood have changed a lot to movies now. You think about all the supernatural movies that are coming out. You can think of even children's movies like uh, Moana, right? Great movie. I I, I enjoy watching that, but what is it about? It's about a demigod, a half-man, half-god being who comes and rescues the world, or he stole something, he's got to put it back. Or you look at the Marvel movies and how intense they're getting and how much superpower, superhuman strength these, these things are being given. And, and it's, it, it's, it's getting strange to me. 
Our culture is being warmed up to the fact of the supernatural. And that makes sense because as we get closer and closer to the second coming of Christ, things will get more warmed up and more warmed up. The veil will become thinner and thinner. If you think about Revelation chapter 11, and that's maybe a verse to go back and look, or chapter to go back and look at. Revelation chapter 11, we have the two witnesses in Jerusalem at the temple. And these two, Jerusalem, these two witnesses were given the power that if anyone wanted to attack them, fire can come out of their mouth. They're given power over the water that they can either cause droughts or they can cause the water to turn to blood. That's weird. How do we go from right now where we're at in our culture, in our world, to that? To two men who can have fire come out of their mouth and not bat an eye? The world doesn't take that into account. The world doesn't like, oh my goodness, people can shoot fire out of their mouth and, 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 and repent? Or what about Revelation 14 where there's three different angels flying in the, in the, in the heavens, in the skies, proclaiming different messages and the world seems they turn a deaf ear to it. They're proclaiming the gospel. They're proclaiming the watch out for the mark of the beast, and yet the world's still marching the same way. How do we get to that place in the future where the people can be so insensitized to these angels flying in the heavens? And that's because I think over the centuries, we've lost our supernatural biblical worldview, right? We think of angels and demons, but really... Those are just cartoons, right? Those are those little things on the shoulders that get, like, speak into our ears. Is that really what angels and demons are? Or what about my friend's house who his mom had these chubby baby angels everywhere? <laughs> Nothing to be feared. She, they were plastered everywhere in their house. Really cute, but I don't think that's a biblical angel. I don't see that picture and think, oh my goodness, and, and, and want to fall down. This, whoa, I, I'm not, I shouldn't be here. The shepherds out in the field, when that single angel comes to proclaim them a message, they all were just falling down with fear. And the angels have to say, don't worry, don't fear. So much of our worldview right now is spent trying to explain everything naturally that we've lost the ability to understand and see what's the world around us. And as Christians, we're called to be a light to a broken world. And so how do we look at the world around us and bring the gospel? We see weird things are happening. Weird things are happening. One of my favorite places growing up as a kid was the Woodlake Hardware Store. And it had a long history of being there. And I've, I, I think the employees must have thought we were crazy. We would go there days on end and just wander the aisles just to look at every knife, every BB gun, every, every rope, every, just we, as a kid, and I still do, I still do this every day I walk into a hardware store. I just kind of catalog in my mind where things are at. If the, okay, if the faucet at home breaks, this is where I can go to get that part. I just, I love wandering the aisles of hardware stores. And in a way, I feel like that's kind of what I'm doing now is, is you look at culture and you start to pick up clues. Like, what, how does this fit in with, with the Bible? What about this? Why is our government releasing data on UFO sightings by the, our military? Government report, 
admits true UFOs aren't man-made. That's weird. That's weird that these, these airplane pilots, these military airplane pilots, are reporting these things that, that far surpass anything, any speed that we're capable of as humans, anything, any technology that we've ever made. And the ability for these, these crafts to uh, be traveling super fast and then make these right-hand turns out of nowhere without slowing down, without curving, without bending. And then these cre- they've, they've reported in some of these, these reports that these crafts have either flown above or they go under the water into the ocean. They're just, they're just we- it's weird if you really dig into these things. How does that fit in with the Bible? Or what about stories uh, of, of people who've come back from near-death experiences? You know those experience those those times where somebody dies on a hop operating t- operating table either from a heart attack or something and they report going to some place and seeing something or having an out of body experience. Or what about those like those those stories where people seem to come out of their body, hover over their body, hover over the operating table while their people are working on them, operate and look around in the room. They're they're witnessing all these things going on to their own body but yet their soul is detached. And yet while their soul is detached, people have come back and reported that they can remember or they can retell the serial numbers on the back of the machines that were in that operating table or operating room. Knowledge that they had no prior understanding beforehand. Or what about the person that came back from this near-death experience, this death where their heart rate was dead, and they came back and they said, well, I saw there's these shoes up on the hospital. There's these certain colored shoes up on the top of the hospital. How how do we explain that as Christians? It's strange. What if you encounter someone on the street who says that they've lived three previous lives and they can explain those things in detail, and they explain in a way that's very historically accurate. Are they out of their mind? See, I think the Bible, I think we have a way in our Bible of explaining these things, and that's what I want to kind of get at. But if those are strange things out in the world. What about the strange things in the Bible? Are there some strange passages in the Bible? Yes. Let's look at a few, and these are maybe just, we're just going to, I'm just going to highlight a few, throw a few at you, kind of like spaghetti in the wall. Look at Genesis chapter 6 when you get home. Write that down, Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to break that down just a little bit more later on. Genesis chapter 6 talks about the sons of God and the Nephilim, the giants, the mighty men. That's strange. Daniel chapter 3 talks about a hand of God uh, coming physically and writing on the wall. And it wrote, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upharsin. That's Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 10 has these dueling superpowers in the heavens. That Daniel started praying, and for 21 days he kept praying and fasting, praying and fasting, and he got no answer from God until an angel finally came and said, I was held up by the prince of the kingdom of Persia in the heavens. And it wasn't until Michael, the archangel, came and released me, fought against that superpower, that king, king, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and released me so I can come bring this to you now, Daniel. That's strange. What about 1 Kings 22, the prophet Micaiah? 
and Yahweh having a council or a cohort and then a lion spirit, a spirit coming forth and, and saying, I will be a lion spirit in the mouth of those 400 uh, uh, priests. And Micaiah stood apart from that. That's weird. Read 1 Kings 22 this week. Or then you get to sections like Psalm 82 where it's like God and his divine counsel. Elohim stands in the counsel of the mighty, the El. And he judges amongst the Elohims, the gods. That's Psalm 82. Isaiah 14 is a strange one as well. Is, it a, is, is Isaiah 14 a prophecy against a king, the king of Babylon, or is it a prophecy against Satan? It would almost seem like both. Because he's talking at one point to the king of uh, Babylon, but then another point, he says that you were in the garden beforehand and you were a mighty cherub. So is he talking to the king of Babylon or is he talking to Satan? What about Ezekiel 28? Same thing. Human king of Tyre or is he talking about Satan? Then we have passages in the Bible that we so often just, just floss over like the, the, the virgin birth of Jesus. That's a supernatural thing. What about Jesus' dealings with the demons? How, where do we categorize that? Where is that to be put? Or what if finally, about the, what about the resurrection from the dead? Lazarus called out of the grave after three days. Four days? Three days? He stunks. He stunk. He, he stunk by that time. Called out of the grave. Or Jesus, when he died, the streets, they said the tombs were opened and men began to walk about the streets. That's weird. These things are weird. But if the Bible is strange, what about the world around us as well? Think, weird things are happening. As we all know, science is, is, is stuck in chasing after this philosophy of the, or this theory of the Big Bang, the theory of how we came into being. 13.8 billion years ago, uh, there was a, uh, a subatomic particle and it blew up and then this whole world came into, into being. Well, right now, in CERN, Switzerland, is one of the largest machines in the world. It's called the Large Hadron Collider. It's a subatomic sub part particle collider. And what it is, it's a 17-mile tunnel underneath the ground, about a, a 300 feet under the ground, and it shoots out subatomic particles at near the speed of light. And these, these particles, what they're trying to find is how the universe was created. So they're trying to figure out how these things collided and how the Big Bang happened, Okay. They're looking for this God particle, the Bossom Higgs particle. But strange things are there because it's not just science. You see, in between those buildings, you can find a bronze sculpture of the Hindu god Shiva. The Hindu god of destruction, and that is said that is balancing, uh, unifies ancient mythology religious art, and modern physics. Why do you need a picture or a depiction of the Hindu god Shiva in the middle of a very, the world's biggest science experiment? Where the scientists are saying that weird things or aberrations are happening as, as these particles are colliding. In fact, there's many atheist scientists that were, that were 
calling out great warnings. We do not know what we're doing by colliding these things. One of those guys' names is Neil Tyson DeGoss. Another was Stephen Hawking. They're like, we are messing with things, with forces, with powers, with things that we do not know. But going back to that, that sculpture, why, why have a sculpture of the Hindu god Shiva? This is what a postdoc student working there, his name is Aidan Randall Conde. He wrote this speaking about that statue. So in the light of day, when CERN is teeming with life, Shiva seems playful, reminding us that the universe is constantly shaking things up and remaking itself and is never static. But by night, when we have more times to contemplate the deeper questions, Shiva literally casts a long shadow over our work, a bit like the shadows on Plato's cave. Shiva reminds me that, when, that we still don't know the answer to one of the, lar- the, the biggest questions presented by the universe, and that every time we collide the beams, we must take the cosmic balance sheet into account. They're looking for something beyond science, and they're finding it. What about if that is looking at the most ultimate, uh, smallest particle and trying to find the origins of that? What about the, the galaxies? Recently, we just launched the James Webb Space Telescope, and it was a, it's an upgrade to Hubble, and this, this looks into the deepest universe as farther than we've, we can ever see, and the, the images that are coming back are pretty phenomenal, but their discoveries are not matching their data or what they predicted or what they thought they would say. It's caused a lot of panic among scientists going, there's things that we're witnessing or that we're seeing out there that we, sh- we, th- we didn't think we'd, sh- we have to kind of rewrite, the dr- go back to the drawing board in some sense. It's because they're trying to track down this Big Bang theory. So those are strange things. What about athleticism? What does athleticism have to do with worship? You see, every, every two years, or it's held every four years, in between the Olympics, there's this thing called the Commonwealth Games. And this year was held in Britain. And at this opening ceremony, it was one of the strangest opening ceremonies that you, you could ever imagine. I'd recommend going back and watching that. But here's a clip. This is a, a still image from that Commonwealth Games, athletic games. And what you see is a woman holding a fallen star. And that fallen star is the way that she can then communicate with that beast, this this bull that is being shackled. At one point, the woman then gets to ride the beast. And if that doesn't give you a revelation prophecy, it's, it's, it's just wild. But she can communicate with the bull because she has a fallen star. She then rides it. That's weird. Why, what does worshiping a bull have to do anything to do with the athletic games? What about building projects? You think building a physical thing would just be just doing that, just building a physical thing. Well, in Switzerland as well, they built one of the lar- largest, longest tunnels in the world. It's called the Gothard Tunnel. And the Gothard Tunnel as well, in the opening ceremony, was one of the most bizarre things you could watch, in which there was a Satan, a a literal Satan that showed up. 
And they were dancing and worshiping this, this Satan. It goes a lot back to the, the, the history of the area, but it was, it's strange. I don't recommend watching it. Creepy stuff. What does it have to do with building a tunnel? Going back to what, what, what is our government? Why is our government releasing this alien UFO? And how, the most important question is, how do we look at this from a, a biblical worldview? There's four different worldviews as I see it. So I made, this, um, I made a little qu- a quadrant. In the top left, you have the supernatural, a-biblical worldview. So they are against the Bible. They do not believe in the Bible. But they believe in the supernatural. And those are people like, uh, that, that you would find in ancient mythology. The ancient mythology believed that the, there was gods and they created the worlds and they, they, they well, you can, you can study mythology. Mythology will, sh- will give you a supernatural, abiblical worldview. It's strange that even scientists are starting to head in that direction. Richard, ha- Richard Dawkins, one of the a staunch atheists, is now looked at the probability and, and more and more research that comes out about, the, about our world that we know and the probability that life could not happen without some outside force now says that he believes that aliens might have seeded the, our, our race here on the world. Because he's not willing to believe in a God, Jesus, he has to go and believe that maybe aliens seeded our planet. So that's strange. But in the bottom left, the naturalist, abiblical worldview, you would have your, your, your evolutionary believers that things have always continued as they were. Nothing's really changed. There's no God, so just dance to your DNA. Down at the bottom right, we have men like Charles Darwin who, had, who held a degree in theology he tried to have a biblical worldview, but he looked around and tried to make it like it was a natural progression. Up in the top right is, I believe, the view of the, of the biblical authors and the view I'm trying to steer us towards, the supernatural biblical worldview. And often that starts right in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 1 through 11, not viewed as poetic, not a story, but a literal account of the things that happen. How did Jesus view Genesis? And I would question you, do you have the same view of Genesis that Jesus did? See, our biblical worldview includes the supernatural, like things like God calling into the universe, calling the world and universe into existence created from nothing, borrowed nothing. And our biblical supernatural worldview hinges on two passages. The first I'd like to go to is Genesis 3. Genesis 3, and if you look at Genesis 3, uh, we'll look at uh, 3, 14, and 15. God handing out the consequences of the fall to the serpent, he says, because you have done this, you are cursed more than the cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you shall go and you shall eat of the dust all the days of your life. 
And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So in the same way that Isaiah 14 talks about a human king, but also Satan who's controlling that human king, the same way as Ezekiel is talking about another human king that's being controlled by Satan, God is now addressing first the serpent and then the power behind the serpent. So addressing the power behind the serpent, he's talking about a cosmic battle that is to come. I will put enmity, I will put war between you between the serpent, between Satan, between you, Satan, and the woman. Between your seed, Satan, and between her seed. He shall bruise your head, so the coming Messiah shall bruise your head, serpent, Satan, but you shall be allowed to bruise his heel. That is the first message of the gospel. It's called the Proto-Evangelion the first message of the coming Messiah. And that was the start of the cosmic battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan. Now, as time goes on, we come to another big event in the Genesis narrative, and that is found in Genesis chapter 6. After giving the genealogy in Genesis chapter 5, the Toledot, uh, of Adam, we now come to this strange passage in Genesis 6 about a worldwide flood and the need for it. And the flood was accepted up until the mid-18th century. It was a man by the name of George Vaffan who, who then looked at the world and he said, well, things have always consisted, and they began to weed out that a global flood happened. And they began to explain, like, things have always just continued the way it is. And so even George Buffon got away from the world, a biblical worldwide flood. But going back fur further before him, the early church fathers, the biblical writers, they all believed in a worldwide flood, a global worldwide flood. Jesus himself believed in a global worldwide flood. Matthew 24 says, But of the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah uh, were, so also the coming of the Son of Man will be. For as in the days before the flood, there were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took him away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is looking forward to some coming events, but he's using that, and he's looking back at the story of the flood. As the days of Noah, he didn't say as in the days of the stories of Noah. No, as in the days of Noah, that's what it's going to be like before my second coming. Luke 17, he also says this as well. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives and were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. If it was a regional flood, God could have just told Noah to move your family out of the area. I'm going to flood the area. There's wickedness there. But God didn't. God had him put into a safe place, had him made an ark. The only way of salvation in an ark that would then float above the waters. 
during this time of global upheaval in which all were destroyed. So that's what Jesus believed. What do you believe? Genesis 6 is one of the strangest verses in the Bible, chapters in the Bible. Genesis 6, we'll read through 1 through 4. We'll spend some time breaking it down a little bit this week and maybe next week as well. Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 4, it says, And now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And there were giants or Nephilim on the earth in those days and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men of old, men of renown. Strange verses. Might be about the strangest verses in the whole Bible. So we have to ask ourselves, who is this group of beings? Who is the sons of God? And I'll tell you, there's been three major theories throughout uh, Christianity. First is that they're fallen angels. The second theory is that they're royalty, that they're, they, they took multiple wives and had harems. The third theory is the, is the Sethite theory, and that's the descendants of the lineage of Seth marrying with the ungodly lineage. Those are the three main theories, but I'm not interested in th theories. I want to know what the Bible has to say. That's where we look at hermeneutics, the study and the art of interpreting the Bible. The most important is that Scripture always interprets Scripture. So we have to go and we have to look at where else this phrase, sons of God, is, is used in the Old Testament. Twice it's used here in Genesis 6, and then twice more it's used in the book of Job. So Job chapter 1, verse 6. He says that there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came with them also. We know that Job was brought up in that conversation. God said, look down at my people, and they found Job as an excellent man. Once again, they, they, they corralled back up. Job chapter 2, verse 1, And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. So we see that these sons of God come in a way to God. They're able to present themselves. And it says that strangely that Satan came also. So look at other passages of Scripture, and you see that Satan was a fallen angel as well. And so here, we have a little, a little bit of knowledge, but let's look at Job chapter 38. This is the last time it's used. God is then questioning Job in Job chapter 38. Job Job, you know, struggling with why he's doing all this, why, why, why this is all happening to him. 
And God begins to then ask questions to Job. In, the, in this section, in chapters, uh, verse 6 and 7, he's asking, asking them specific questions about creation. So in verse 7, he says, What are when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Job, were you there when the, the stars sang together? When I created the world and the stars began to sing, and, it's, and, and were you there when all the sons of God shouted for joy? So we see that the sons of God in this, this, this section are used as angelic beings, divine beings that were there witnessing the creation of the universe. And they were there shouting for joy. So what we deduce from those passages and that is that the sons of God actually refers to angels. In Genesis 6 case, we look at the sons of God refers to fallen angels, and we'll get to that in a bit. This whole thing about the sons of God becoming, uh, becoming were descendants of Seth was a, a later theory in the early church. The early church always all believed that the sons of God were angels or angelic beings. But that then that, the, that, that theory that the sons of God were the descendants of Seth was introduced by Julius Africanus and later codified into the Catholic Church by St. Augustine. They took a natural biblical worldview. Now, I know there's some pushback on this fallen angels theory uh, in that, you know, there's a passage in Mark chapter 12 when Jesus is talking about what the resurrection will be like. Remember, the Sadducees were arguing about, well, you know, Jesus, this, this brother dies and the, his, his wife has to marry the next brother and that brother dies and the wife has to marry her. And it goes down, which, which husband is, is she going to be married to in heaven? And so Jesus answered Mark 12 and says, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And see, that's the angels in heaven. It doesn't say they cannot, but what they don't. See, the angels in heaven obey God. The fallen angels have left their place, and I have New Testament evidence for that as well. See, we pray in our Lord's Prayer, Lord, um, here on earth like it is in heaven. In heaven, God has his will. God has his way. But here on earth, we're praying and we're called to give the gospel. We're called to pray that God's will be done here on earth. There's also some pushback because Genesis chapter 6, when the new King James says they took wives for themselves, it actually should be more like took women for themselves. Because that word, in the Hebrew word, that word Esau, it could be for a woman married or single. So these sons of God took, and that it took is a euphemism for sex. It's that same hermeneutical word. You can study hermeneutics. Judah took his wife, took his sister Tamar, as in he raped her. These angels left their place and they took women for themselves. That's weird stuff. So why do we need to know this? And you're probably asking me that question. Why do we need to know this? Why are you bringing this up? Because we're going to be coming up on some strange verses in the New Testament. Some strange ones coming up in 1 Peter and then in Jude. I love Steve, Pastor Steve. He's been, we've been working our way through, through the New Testament, and we're in, 
We're normally, we've been in 1 Peter, and we're going to come to these verses. In fact, 1 Peter 3, we can look that up. 1 Peter 3, 18 through 21. It says, For Jesus also suffered once for all sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who were formerly disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in that which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. You look at 20, verse 21, it's a strange one as well. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but an answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus. So the question is, in 1 Peter 3, who are these uh, spirits that were held in prison? Well, we know they were disobedient when the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Those 120 years that God said, My, I, I will not strive with man for this. I'm going to put a limit to his days. That wasn't a limit of years of life because there, Abraham lived longer than 120 years. But it was the limit that God would put on the way that humanity was headed. In 120 years, God said, I'm going to bring the global worldwide flood and the only people saved would be those aboard the ark. So God had divine patience, divine long-suffering while he was waiting for Noah to complete the ark that his, Noah and his family, who were perfect, who had good DNA, waiting for them to be saved. And there was only one way of sal salvation during the flood, and that was on the ark. What about 2 Peter chapter 2? Verses 4 and 5, it says, For God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So God sent a global worldwide flood and only saved Noah and his, uh, one of eight people. But before that, there were angels who sinned. Well, who were those angels who sinned? Those were those angels from Genesis chapter 6 that took women for themselves. And he delivered them in a special place of chains and darkness to reserve for judgment. What about Jude chapter 1, verse 6, or Jude 6, because there's only one chapter, right? Jude 6 says, The angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Those angels who left their proper domain. The angels, the sons of God who came in and took women. Thereby creating a superhuman race giving us the myth, the legends that we have in Greek mythology, Roman mythology. Strange things, but it's biblical. Now next week I'm going to get into the difference between angels and demons because there's very, very different. It's a big difference.
And what I didn't do first service, what maybe I'll try this service, is, is, is there any questions so far? I'll, I'll be open to a couple questions. I know we're a little bit over time, but are there, is anything just pressing so far that I've said? Things to study. I want you to take these things home to study. Don't just take my word for it. Go and study these things. But I think there's a... We are wrestling not against flesh and blood is what Paul said. And that's why God talks about in Ephesians, why God gives Paul the instructions that put on our full armor of God. And as I look at the full armor of God, I always always question, maybe you have too, the boots. Why does somebody's feet need to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? As a Roman soldier will put all their armor on, as they're ready to go out to battle, they've been trained, they've been prepared, they would put on the last thing, they put on their boots. Boots things seems to be a strange thing for me in my mind that, that Paul would mention. But then once you begin to learn what boots are to the Roman soldier, you learn that these boots not only had protection, had covering, they had these two-inch spikes in the bottom. And that was if you were in town, if you were like in, your, in a parade, you'd wear these boots that had two-inch spikes in the sole. But when going to battle, you would wear these, spi- these spikes in your shoes that ha- uh, were up to six inches long. And that's because the Roman soldiers viewed their, uh, their shoes as a weapon. It was an offensive thing. Because the Roman soldiers wanted to be, they knew they had to be hand-to-hand tight combat. They had shorter swords so they could swing them easier. They wanted to be up close in person. And one of the things they wanted, one of the tactics that they wanted to do to their enemies is they wanted to knock them to the ground and then you just take a spiked boot right into their body. So to us, we hear the, the, the preparation of the gospel piece. That sounds so nice to us. Oh, wow, yeah. I, wanna, I want my feet to be beautiful like up on the mountains like Isaiah talks about. But you have to remember from the perspective of the enemy, when we have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that's peace to us, and we want to bring peace to others. But that peace comes at a cost to the enemy. The enemy know what that means. And saints, we have an enemy. Like Elijah said, when he, when he looked at his servant, his servant came in, gave him a report, oh, we're surrounded by the armies. Elijah's like, oh, Lord, open his eyes, let him look up. And he saw above him a multitude of the heavenly host just waiting to go to battle. Lately, I just finished the book, uh, The Pierce in This Darkness by Frank Peretti. And this pastor who was just on his knees in prayer and the, and, and the, the damage, the, the darkness that was unfolding on the town around him. And I wonder what that darkness is in the spiritual realm around our church, around our, our community right now. We need people who know what they're headed, what the kind of battle that they're headed into and are prepared for that. So the more we know about our enemy, the more we can be prepared to fight that fight. D-Day was not one by sending one ship or two ships sent by rows and rows and boats and boats and lives and lives to storm that beach and to win it. It's because they knew the fortified city, the fortified beach that they were headed into and there came a cost. Next week, we're going to jump into the difference between angels and demons and how those things influence us even now. And just as a precursor, I didn't give this to them. I'm going to give you guys a clip of Joe Rogan next week. 
And I'm going to show you how he has opened himself up to demons and how those demons are communicating with him. That'll be next week. Let's pray. Lord, I know by your word that we are facing a battle. We are facing an enemy, Lord. And there, there are people, souls around us that are being held captive. by the evil hosts, the evil armies. Lord God, you have given us a a gospel that is good news. It is good news to us because we've believed it and we've taken it, Lord. But it is not good news to our enemies. Lord, put on us the full armor of God that we may be able to fight against the wiles of the devil, that we can go to battle for you, Lord, Help us to understand the enemy and that what we're, what we're up against, Lord, so that it was we, we love and we preach the gospel to those around us, family members, uh, uh, neighbors, commu- people in our community, people in our schools, that we can know that we are up against what you came to save and deliver from the darkness, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Don't you get shy on me, lift up your soul Cause you got a lion inside of those lungs Get up and praise the Lord Come on Come on my soul Oh don't you get shy on me, lift up your soul Amen. Mm-hmm. 